Hello, welcome to Pure Nonsense. I am very excited to record this episode today for a couple of different reasons. Number one, I think I am going to share this episode on my business Instagram account aside from just my personal Instagram. So my personal Instagram is private, friends and family, you know the deal, all of that. But then I've got my business account where I do all of my baking and, you know, my job being a baker, having my small business. I have that account, which is public, and I have never shared the fact that I have a podcast to people that follow along with my business. And this episode is going to be geared towards what I do with my business, with being in the wedding industry, being a wedding vendor, wedding cakes, desserts, all of that. This episode is going to be geared towards that. That's what I'm going to be talking about. So I feel like the perfect audience for that would be the people that follow along with my business, the people who I know are interested in cakes and baking and all of that, whereas, you know, some of my friends and family might not really care. So if you're listening to this and you're a friend or a family member and you really don't re- don't care about the facts behind cakes and weddings and all of that, you don't have to listen to it. I will not be offended. I will not be hurt. I completely understand. Also, side note, if you can hear a noise in the background, there is some type of landscaping, yard work being done near my house. I, I literally, oh, there it is. It's a guy with a leaf blower. He just came up the sidewalk. It was getting closer and closer, and I had no idea where it was coming from. But as I look out my window, it's a guy with a leaf blower. So if you can hear that in the background, maybe it'll go away in a few minutes. I'm still going to keep recording because, as you may have noticed, if you have listened to my podcast before, guess what? I didn't post last week, and I have already failed at that New Year's resolution to post every single week. I thought that January was going to be super slow for me with my business, which technically it is because not many people are having weddings in January in North Carolina. It's just not that pretty of a month to have a wedding. So I thought it was going to be relatively slow. I was like, okay, great. The whole month of January, I can batch episodes of the podcast so that I can throw them out there. I can have like three months of all my recordings so that every week I can post. And then the past two weeks, I have been slammed with the administration side. Is that is that the right word? Administ- mm, I don't think that was the right word. I'm embarrassing myself. I was slammed with like emails and all of that, like the administrative side of my job. I believe that's what it is. Please don't, please don't yell at me. But I was doing like the emails, the website updates, trying to keep up with social media and all of that, which when I say it out loud, if I say it to someone who has a completely different job than I do, it sounds so easy. It sounds so surface level of like, oh, you had to respond to your emails. Oh, you had to post a reel on Instagram wow, you have such a hard life, Maggie. I'm not saying I have a hard life. I absolutely love every single thing that I do day to day. 
But sometimes it can be a lot doing it all at once. And then I started this podcast because I love listening to podcasts. And I thought, you know, that sounds really fun. That sounds like a fun hobby to add to my life, like a little weekly thing. And so I did create this for myself. So then when I feel guilty about not posting one week, it's like, okay, well, I created that problem for myself. It's really not a big deal. I don't know where I'm going with this. I am completely rambling. But all of this being said, this episode is going to focus on what I do for my business, but it's not focusing on me. So I work in the wedding industry, like I have said a gazillion times. I bake wedding cakes, wedding dessert tables, all of that stuff. And throughout the course of being in the wedding industry, I've been in it for like a year, maybe a little over a year now. And every single person that you work with, every single couple, you know that like all they care about is the pricing. Like they want it to look nice. They want the cake and the food to taste nice, all of that stuff. But everyone is so focused on pricing because weddings are such a big deal in today's world where everything is pricey. Like, let's be honest, everything is pricey when it comes to a wedding. And most people, like the average cost of a wedding in North Carolina is $32,500. $32,000 for one afternoon slash evening. That is that is like bonkers, okay? That is a lot of money to spend on one day, like one afternoon, right? So I completely understand why everyone's focus is like, what do you charge? What's the price? How much is this going to cost me? Totally understandable. But as I've been working in the wedding industry, it's kind of got me thinking, like, you know, when you talk about it with your parents, when they got married 30 years ago, they're like, oh, like, the wedding world is like crazy now. I remember when I got married, we did it for this cost. We had a beautiful venue and I had a really pretty dress and the food was great and everyone had a great time. And, you know, it cost a fraction of what it costs today. We all know that. We've all heard it. Obviously, I feel like the quality of things today are a crap ton better than they were 30 years ago. When you look at wedding photography and videography, from when your parents got married, it's going to be 20 times better today. When you look at the cakes from back in the day, 20 times better today, depending on your style, of course. Don't even get me started on wedding dresses from the 80s and 90s. Oh my god. Um, There's a reason there are higher price tags on things today, of course, when it comes to inflation and the fact that we're going into a recession because the cost of everything is just absolutely ridiculous. That's not cool, but when you look at the quality of things today versus back then, totally makes sense. Again, all of this being said, here I go on a rant, of course. I started to wonder, you know, how did weddings even become a thing? When did they start happening? When did they start becoming these extravagant parties and things that people spent so much money on and they stress about it and the bride has to look perfect in the dress and 
the guests have to have the best time and like all of that. Like when did weddings become what they are today? Were they always like that? Were like what year did weddings start? What kind of culture did they start in? What did they used to look like? What was the meaning behind a wedding way back in the day? Because for as long as we've known, weddings are uniting two people and your guests and which are, you know, your friends and family. They watch you get married at your ceremony. Takes like 20 minutes and then it's party time. You've got the DJ, you've got the drinks, everyone's having a good time, photographer taking all the photos. That's what we know a wedding to be. And so I was, I was really, really curious as to what the history of weddings looked like. And I found some tea. I found some stuff that I was like, oh my God, that is hilarious, ridiculous. Why did anyone think this? And how did it go from that to what it is today? So this episode, I am going to spill all of the tea that I found on what weddings were when they first came about. And then even after that, like not that long ago, well, kind of, it it was a long time ago, let's be honest. I have all of my notes. I have it organized into sections. We're going to talk about the history of wedding ceremonies, of the wedding parties like groomsmen and bridesmaids. We're going to talk about the history of wedding cakes, wedding traditions, all of that. There is some crazy stuff. And when I read it, I was like, how, how, in what world did anyone believe any of this? Like, why? It's hilarious. So I am so excited. Again, if you don't care about weddings, you don't have to listen to this. I think this stuff is interesting. I kind of want to do episodes now that go into like the history or just past stories and fun facts about random things. I feel like that goes along with the theme of pure nonsense, doesn't it? I think so. There are so many things like, you know, we all know the history of the car or the telephone and stuff like that, right? But there are so many things that we just have today that definitely did not exist before, but to us, it's a normal part of our everyday lives And it's really cool to do research on why things are the way that they are. So if that sounds interesting to you, let me know. I'd be happy to make more episodes of stuff like this. Doesn't have anything or doesn't have to have anything to do with weddings, but today it does. And I am so excited. So buckle up. I am going to start with the history of wedding ceremonies kind of, you know, we'll probably go in order of how a wedding actually works, you know, like ceremony party, cake, all of that. So yeah, buckle up and I hope you enjoy. So like I said, I have my notes. I have bullet point facts, little snippets that I found from Google. Some of these things I'm going to be reading exactly how they were written in the articles. Um, It's just easier that way with the whole, you know, going along with the timeline. But to start with the history of wedding ceremonies, 
the first recorded evidence of marriage ceremony, so a wedding ceremony, back then, you know, uniting one woman and one man, it dates from around 2350 BC in Mesopotamia. That is a long time ago, right? And then over the next several hundred years, marriage evolved into a widespread institution embraced by the ancient Hebrews, Greeks, and Romans. So I guess when they had their first ever weddings back in the day, they were like, oh yeah, oh yeah, this is going to be something big. We are going to keep doing this. We're going to spread it to all the different cultures. We're going to spread it around the world. And it worked because there is not a single, I am just talking out of my ass at this point. There absolutely could be a culture that doesn't do marriage ceremonies. I'm not exactly sure. I should have looked into that. I don't want to sound insensitive to anyone or any, any, anyone, but it is a worldwide thing that marriage ceremonies happen, weddings happen, all of that. We all know it. But a long time ago, it said that marriage was anything but the bride's day. So today, when you look at it, even though, so, okay, a typical marriage, bride and groom, it can be bride and bride, it can be groom and groom. But a typical marriage ceremony with a bride and groom, you always hear, oh, it's the bride's day. It is her day. The groom just gets kind of pushed to the side, poor guy. I mean, I know it's typical that the bride's family pays for the wedding, which nowadays, please split up the costs. With the cost of a wedding today, it is so unfair to look at the bride and her parents and be like, mm, you guys got this one. And then the groom's parents pay for the rehearsal dinner. Uh-uh. Split that 50-50. It takes two to tango. There's two people in the wedding. You can split it 50-50 at this point in time. But you always hear, it's the bride's day. It's her time to shine. It's what she's always dreamed of. She's been looking forward to it since she was a little girl. All of that. I understand it. But back then, okay, when weddings were first happening, and even well after they were first happening, the bride was miserable. So I think we all know that with weddings, it was like a financial transaction, okay? And they just labeled it as marriage. But with the wedding back in the day, because it was a financial transaction, wedding guests were basically just witnesses to the exchange, making the contract legitimate. So a suitor would first go to the young woman's father and offer gifts to him in exchange for his daughter's hand in marriage. So, you know, you get the dad's blessing, which is still a thing today. You know, you ask the parents' permission. But back then, the guy would go, so I'm a girl. Say my boyfriend were to go to my dad and we're way back in time, okay? He would bring my dad gifts and be like, you know, I don't, what were the gifts? Probably like cattle, things like that. I'm going to give you this sheep. You're going to give me your daughter. And the dad would be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good deal. Can you imagine? I, ooh, I would run. That is weird. But they would basically pay for their future wife 
And if the girl's father found that the price was right, she would then belong to the suitor. And the wedding would happen, and he'd be like, all right, she's yours now. Thanks for the sheep. Thanks for the cow. You can take my daughter. So that's how it was. It was like a financial transaction. And then when you had the wedding, your guests, I'm doing that in quotation marks because it's not like, oh, my friends and family on this joyous occasion all coming together. It's like, no, they're there to watch you sign the contract so that you can't, you can't run. You can't deny it. There are witnesses. You sign the contract. You just completely gave yourself away, right? So then there were, of course, fathers of family in lower social standings that would give away their daughter in order to raise their own financial status. So they would want to boost their social standing and combine with a family of a wealthier house. So if there was a suitor, if, if there was a man that had a daughter and a suitor was interested in his daughter and the father did not come from a wealthy family. They didn't have a great house. They didn't have good land. They weren't making good money. But the suitor came from a family that was, like, well off. He would not give a crap how he treated his daughter, typically, right? Of course, there were probably dads that were like, you know, get out of here. I'm not following along with this stuff. But typically, didn't matter how the guy treated the girl. If he came from money, absolutely sign the contract. Let's get some friends and family in here to bear witness to it. There you go. Now we're all one big happy family and we can all be rich. Woohoo! So that's kind of a little backstory on that, right? And the point is the girls to be married generally did not have any say in the matter, as you can imagine. As I was saying that, I think that was obvious, right? That the girls did not have any say in the matter. And today, when you see a father walking his little girl down the aisle to marry the guy standing on the other end of the aisle, it's really cute to see. It's very heartwarming. It's very sweet, right, in today's world. However, that back in the day was literally the girl's father selling her. He was walking her down the aisle at the end of the aisle. She would take her fiancé's hand. The dad would sit down. She was just sold. That's what that was back in the day. So that's a little backstory on what wedding ceremonies were all about back in the day. That was probably a really, you know, unfortunate way to start this episode. It was probably very off-putting. But I think we all knew that, okay? Those were the bullet points that I feel like everyone knew just based on how relationships worked just in like the early 1900s, right? Which was not that long ago in the grand scheme of how long humans have been around. So that was just a backstory. That was a little, little lesson moment on what things used to be when it came to weddings, how they were not very heartfelt and, oh my gosh, I'm so happy. This is the day I've always dreamed of. Like, I bet the bride was in tears walking down the aisle, unless she loved the suitor, okay? There were probably some instances where a girl came from, you know, a less fortunate household and lucky for her, she actually fell in love with a good guy 
and that good guy also happened to come from a wealthy family and then the dad was like oh yeah absolutely you have my permission please take my daughter and the girl was probably like oh thank goodness because i love him i'm sure that happened right but there were probably also times where that was not the case so sorry to start it off on you know a little sad note luckily that's well in western society that's not really how it is i know that there are still arranged marriages forced marriages not cool not cool at all absolutely disgusting kind of makes me nauseous to think about but overall almost every single wedding used to be like that so now moving on from the history of the wedding ceremony and the whole purpose behind wedding ceremonies i'm going to get into the history of wedding parties so groomsmen and bridesmaids. I feel like when you say wedding party, some people can get that confused with the reception of the actual party happening. But when you say wedding party, that is talking about the groomsmen and the bridesmaids. It's just another way to say bridal party. But a lot more people are saying wedding party now just because there are also groomsmen with most weddings. And then if you were to say bridal party, that's kind of only talking about bridesmaids and then like I said before everyone always acts like it's the bride's day and the poor groom just gets pushed to the side half the time so wedding party also includes the groom and the groomsmen so let's get into the history of those two groups so starting with the groomsmen well okay both groomsmen and bridesmaids in today's world those are the grooms and the brides best friends, maybe siblings, cousins, the people that they find to be closest to them in life, typically their peers, typically, you know, bridesmaids and groomsmen are your similar age, maybe not if it's like a younger sister or brother. I have seen the cutest bridesmaids, oh my gosh, when a bride, this is, this makes me almost teary-eyed, but I have seen stories and photos and videos from random people's weddings, of course, on social media, where the bride's grandmother was never a part of anyone's wedding throughout her whole life. When her friends and her family members were getting married and she was, you know, the grandma was in her like 20s or 30s and she was never asked to be a bridesmaid. And so the bride makes her grandmother like the maid of honor, and it is so cute. I think that is the cutest, sweetest thing, and those pictures, oh my god, it will make me cry every single time. But anyways, groomsmen and bridesmaids in today's world, those are like your best friends. Those are the people closest to you, which back then was still the same thing. I'm I'm pretty positive, like 99% positive, your groomsmen and your bridesmaids would still be, you know, your sisters, your brothers, your best friends. For the groomsmen in today's world, it's, it's just a good time. Both groomsmen and bridesmaids, it's just a good time. You get to hang out, you get to get ready together, have some drinks, listen to music, take fun photos. It is just a good time, right? But back then, it wasn't a party situation. It wasn't like, oh, I'm asking you to be my groomsman. Like, will you be my best man? Will you be a groomsman? Whatever. We're going to have so much fun. 
That's not how it was back then. When someone asked you to be in your wedding party back in the day, you were almost sacrificing your life. You were agreeing to put your life on the line if you had to in order to protect the bride or the groom. It was still a big honor, of course. I mean, in that case, it's like, well, geez, you must really trust me, I guess, and I guess I have to really trust you. So it was still a big honor to be asked to be a part of someone's wedding party. But it was kind of scary, and not kind of, I feel like really scary. So going along with the theme of marriage not really being about the girl actually wanting that marriage to happen. There were a couple accounts of the purpose of groomsmen. And, okay, both of those involve sword fighting. So if you agreed to be a groomsman in your brother or your best friend's wedding, whatever, you were agreeing to fight. So the more... I Google calls, well, the article that I was reading called this first bullet point the more barbaric account. I disagree. I think this first bullet point is kind of like a little game that people used to play. If you remember the episode of The Office where this is literally the last episode where Dwight and Angela get married and Moe's kidnaps Angela from her bachelorette party and like takes her in the trunk of the car and just drives her around and then they end up finding her and the whole thing is like some tradition that Dwight's side of the family does where a groomsman kidnaps the bride and the groom is in charge of tracking her down and at the end it's like yay you found her that's actually a thing and that's actually what people used to do back in the day so the groom and all of his groomsmen They would kidnap a girl from her family. I actually don't... Oh my gosh. I just realized they would just kidnap a girl. This article is not saying that they would kidnap the bride. No, I think... I think... Okay, I think they got it wrong because I'm looking at what they wrote. Yeah, I think... Okay, the groom and his groomsmen would, like, kidnap the bride from her family, from the house that she was in. And the groomsmen would be responsible for fighting off her defenders while the groom-to-be would carry her off. So picture this. A group of guys, they break into this family home. And one of the guys is the groom-to-be. The other guys are the groomsmen. And you've got really angry brothers, an angry dad, maybe an angry grandfather. Of course, the mom's angry. Everyone's angry because their daughter is being kidnapped. So while the groom grabs the girl and is carrying her and running away with her, the groomsmen would have literal swords and they would fight off the people trying to save the girl, which were most likely her family members, right? If she's in a home and they're kidnapping her from that home, it's not like she's at a bar, right? She's at home. So they're they're sword fighting this girl's family. While the groom is like, ha ha ha, I got her, yay, woohoo. What? Why? Why did? Why was that a thing? So that was the first instance of groomsmen having to kind of put their life on the line, but also in more of like a fun, 
tradition sense, if that makes sense. I feel like the family would be in on it. If this is a typical thing that people used to do back in the day, I feel like if a girl has her has the groom to be come and kidnap her, the family's probably like, oh, ha, 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 you know, boys will be boys. That may have been the case. Who knows? But the second instance of guys having to put their life on the line if they wanted to be a groomsman would be responsible for the bodily protection of the groom. So if there were any angry fathers or any jealous suitors that didn't get a chance to take the new bride on a date and they were the ones that wanted to marry her and they're just super jealous of the groom and they got turned down and they really wanted to, you know, ruin the groom's day. They wanted to crash the wedding, you know, wedding crashers, right? The groomsmen would literally stand in the way of the groom and they would fight the people that were objecting to the wedding. So if anyone objected to the bride and groom getting married during the ceremony, the groomsmen would just whip out their swords and they would start fighting. I don't know how often someone would object because it sounds like if the wedding is happening, there has already been that agreement between the groom and the girl's father of like, yes, you gave me my sheep, I give you my daughter. So I don't know who would object other than, like the article was talking about, jealous previous suitors that kind of got shafted. But I, you know, because now, you know, if someone were to object in a wedding, it would not go over well. Everyone would be like, oh my god. But there would not be sword fighting, right? So that's crazy. That's crazy with the groomsmen. That's what groomsmen used to do. Now you get asked to be a groomsman and you're like, oh, I'm so honored. I can't wait to go to Vegas. No, that's not how it was back then. All right, now let's talk about the history of bridesmaids. So on one end, we have groomsmen that are literally sword fighting left and right, or they're at least ready to sword fight if the moment presents itself or if the opportunity presents itself. Whereas bridesmaids back in the day, they really stuck together. Now, okay, obviously the groomsmen were also sticking together because if you're going to sword fight some jealous dude that wanted to be the one marrying the bride, if you're just going to automatically sword fight him, you're definitely sticking together and you're standing up for the groom. Bridesmaids would do the same thing. So, this is where it gets kind of funny, in my opinion, the fact that people thought this and they were like, yep, that is a great idea. I don't see anything wrong with it. I think you sound so logical right now. I will absolutely be your bridesmaid. It is hilarious. So let's get into it. So the bridal party today, they wear a different color than the bride. The bride is wearing a white dress. The bridesmaids might all be wearing pink or green or blue. Maybe the bride wants to mix things up and everyone can have a different color and a different style dress, just no one wear white, right? Bridesmaids, they don't wear white, typically, and the bride has her white wedding dress. Back in the day, the bridesmaids exactly matched the bride. Whatever dress the bride was wearing, the color, the fabric, the style, the length, the shoulder pads, all of it, 
whatever dresses looked like way, 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 way back. The bridesmaids would dress the exact same. And apparently, this was due to evil spirits. So back then, people believed that evil spirits were not a fan of marriage, and they would actually try to attack the bride and groom. Okay, the evil spirits, the demons, would try to attack the bride and groom because they did not like marriage. Marriage pissed them off for some reason. They wanted to attack the bride and groom. So, to fix this little issue, if both the bridesmaids and the groomsmen were dressed like the bride and groom, so, like, the groomsmen would also dress like the groom, which is a lot easier if the groom's just wearing, like, a tux or whatever. A lot easier. I, okay, that made me sound so dumb because, obviously, way back when, they weren't wearing a tux with a little black bow tie. It was some elaborate outfit, I am sure. Probably a gorgeous outfit, right? So it was probably a little harder to match exactly back then and probably a little more extensive than just renting the same suit from a store, of course. But both the bridesmaids and the groomsmen would dress as the bride and the groom. Bridesmaids wearing white and, you know, whatever dress the bride was wearing. And then the groomsmen would dress just like the groom. And this was so that they could fool the evil spirits who would then go to attack one of the decoys. So the evil spirits are coming to the wedding. They're hiding behind the trees and they're like, oh my god, there's the bride. Let's let's get her now. Now's the time. But uh-oh, it's a bridesmaid. And they just fooled the evil spirit because they're wearing the same dress. Silly. Oh my god. And then the spirit's like, oh, we just possessed the wrong person. Let's try for the groom. Oh, there he is. Let's go get him. Oh, what's that? It's a groomsman, not the groom. A really loud truck just drove by. So that was, it was a van, actually. That's a loud van. But yeah, they literally thought that, and hey, maybe there's proof of this, okay? Maybe there's proof of brides and grooms being possessed on their wedding day. I wouldn't put it past them. I wouldn't put it past them. If there's proof of that, I want to see it because stuff like that interests me. I absolutely believe in ghosts. I absolutely believe in spirits. I absolutely believe in all of that. Ghosts are real. You cannot convince me otherwise that ghosts are not real. But I just think it's funny that in order to fool the evil spirits, you just had to wear the same dress as the bride. And then that's hilarious to me. That is absolutely hilarious. So that was one instance where bridesmaids were like really taking one for the team when it came to agreeing to be a part of the wedding. Like I said with the groomsmen, it's not just saying, oh, I'm so honored. I can't wait to party it up with you. Woohoo. Let's get our hair and makeup done. It was literally, you know what? I will get possessed by an evil spirit if need be. So that was the first thing that bridesmaids had had to do. Now, another way that bridesmaids would kind of put their life on the line for the bride was the fact that they would put themselves in a position to be kidnapped if it meant that they could save the bride from being kidnapped. And you're probably thinking, who is kidnapping the bride other than the groom-to-be when he's having a fun little time with the groomsmen, right? With that instance that I talked about earlier. But there were actually more situations where kidnapping would occur before the wedding, which is just like, oh my god, it 
getting married back in the day sounds it sounds dangerous. This was a dangerous thing. So, like I talked about before, there were previous suitors of the bride that might be a little jealous. They might be really annoyed that she picked someone else instead of them, and they are pissed. And they would love to go after the groom and probably murder him, quite literally, obviously with all the sword fighting going on. But they're also aware that the groom has groomsmen that are ready to fight. And that one jealous suitor is not going to be able to take on six guys that have swords, right? So instead of going for the groom, he's going to go kidnap the bride. However, all the bridesmaids are dressed just like the bride. So that's just confusion in a room right there. The suitor, the jealous suitor, comes to kidnap the bride, but he accidentally kidnaps a bridesmaid, and now the bride is still safe, everyone's happy, all is well. Except for that bridesmaid that just got kidnapped by a really creepy, jealous dude. So that's another way that bridesmaids back in the day were a lot different than what the duty of a bridesmaid today looks like. That is wild. You are agreeing to be possessed by demons, and you are also agreeing to be kidnapped by a random creepy dude in order to save the bride. And then you've got the groomsmen that are ready to fight off the bride's family while the groom kidnaps her. And they are also wielding swords on the wedding day, ready to kill anyone that objects. This is crazy. That is wild to me. Absolutely wild. So different from today, right? When you think of a wedding today, it's so happy. It's so fun. You can't wait to get dressed up and eat good food. And you're excited about the open bar. Back then, I would have been terrified to be a guest at a wedding. You've got people talking about like, oh, watch out, the demons might be here today. And then if you're sitting in the audience and you're watching the ceremony happen and you hear someone behind you object, get out. Get out as fast as you can. I would be so scared to go to a wedding back in the day. Absolutely not. So also another little history tidbit from weddings back in the day. I was saying how bridesmaids would dress just like the bride in a white dress and everything, but guess what? It wasn't always a white dress. And I think this is common knowledge, you know, way back when dresses were extravagant. The jewelry, the crowns, the tiaras, the gloves, like every single thing about the details of a fancy outfit back not even too long ago, okay? Talking like 1700s, those dresses, <laughs> 1700s, it was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. But in the, like I said before, in the grand scheme of since humans have been in existence, 1700s was not that long ago. But those dresses, those outfits were so nice, so detailed. So there were plenty of weddings where white dresses were not a thing. Brides would wear as much as they possibly could to show whatever form of wealth that they had. Any jewelry, any gemstone, any pearl, any amount of silver or gold, they would put that on. The nicest fabrics that they possibly owned, 
They would put multiple layers on. They would have everything going on with their outfits. Nothing was minimal back in the day, which I love. I am more of a maximalist, which I have realized over the past year, maybe. I really like fun colors. I like cool patterns. I think that's really fun. I am sick. I am so sick of the all-white interior design crap. Everything being white with some gray throw pillows and maybe like, ooh, here's a pop of color in my throw blanket. It's a super, super light beige. Ugh. I am sick of that. I really don't like seeing it. I like fun colors and patterns. I think it's cool. I think it makes everything more exciting. And the outfits back then were exactly that. They were so fun. They were so intricate. So excessive. Honestly, so unnecessary. But so perfect at the same time. So wedding dresses used to be literally whatever they could possibly wear in order to show their wealth. Until... Queen Victoria. When Queen Victoria wore a white dress for her own wedding, she basically became a fashion influencer. Okay, everyone loved it. Everyone wanted to copy her. She literally made history on her wedding day by wearing a white dress. Can you imagine if she had worn a hot pink dress? Where would we be today? I don't know. But Queen Victoria wore a white dress and everyone wanted to do the same. So since then, white dresses have been the staple of a bride's outfit for their wedding day. And that's kind of where the history of the white wedding dress came. But I wanted to put that in there because when I was talking about how bridesmaids would match the bride exactly, it wasn't as simple as getting a white silk gown and that's it. It used to be like You need to match the bride to a T. All of the colors, all of the patterns, all of the jewels, the fabrics. I'm sure because, hmm, that's funny, because bridesmaids today are expected to do so much and spend so much money to be a part of the bride's special day. It's like, oh, I am so honored to be your bridesmaid. Oh my gosh, thank you. I'm so happy to have you. It's going to cost you two to three thousand dollars but you were just such a good friend and I know that you'll be there for me that's that's basically the gist of what being a bridesmaid is today that might sound super insensitive I know that's not the case with everyone okay but you have to spend a lot of money if you want to be a part of a wedding and that goes into the whole thing of everything costing so much in today's world believe me I understand weddings are expensive I get it but Can you imagine if you were a bridesmaid and you were told you had to match what the bride was wearing down to the gloves on her hands, the necklace she was wearing, the rings, the makeup, the hair, all of that. You had to match the bride exactly so that just in case anyone was going to be possessed by an evil demon, the bride would be safe and you would take the fall. That is wild. Absolutely. Just, I just can't get over that. Also, I do just want to say... I definitely sounded like I was making fun of brides and I was mocking them. I was mocking them. I am so sorry. I don't mean to offend anyone. I was just saying how literally today's wedding world includes the bridesmaids having to spend so much money 
when they agree to be a bridesmaid. Because when you are asked to be a bridesmaid, it is so exciting. You feel so happy. You might cry tears of joy because you are just so excited for your best friend that's getting married and you want to be there for her for anything and everything. But then you're expected to be a part of six different parties leading up to the actual wedding day. And then you've got to buy this specific dress with the shoes and the hair and the makeup and the bachelorette party and all of this stuff. I wasn't trying to make fun of anyone at all. Literally, I promise you. I just have seen so many bridesmaids get absolutely shafted when it comes to being there for their best friend. And then friendships get ruined. People get pissed off. People just lose a lot of money. It's a crazy world. Maybe I'll do an episode about that. We'll see. But I just wanted to put that in there because, you know, don't want to offend anyone. It's just what I have witnessed firsthand. It just, it's not nice. It really, it's not. I don't know. It's very off-putting in all honesty. But let's move on from that. Let's talk about my favorite part, the history of the wedding cake. This is another little section of the history of weddings that is hilarious to me. Absolutely hilarious that anyone, again, heard this information, took in, you know, they took in the information and they were like, yep, absolutely. You are making so much sense. I completely agree. This is definitely the best thing that we should do in this situation. Let's do it. Can't wait. So excited. So the history of wedding cakes. The wedding cake has been a part of the ceremony, of a wedding ceremony, since the ancient Greeks and Romans, like we were saying before. And as a part of the couple's nuptials, the groom would break bread over the bride's head. So not a cake, like literally a loaf of bread. And this was to, this is hilarious, breaking bread over the bride's head symbolized her submission, the end of her purity, and it was a way to represent good luck and fertility. So can you imagine seeing a groom break bread over a bride's head? And here's the thing. There are so many different wedding traditions with so many different cultures throughout the world. But the fact that this tradition back in the day meant, oh, you are no longer pure and now you are fertile. What? How does any of that add up? Like I said, there are so many traditions with different cultures. You know, you're, some people break glass. Okay, some people have completely different vows that they are agreeing to at the altar. Some people, you know, weddings can be completely different from place to place, from person to person. But if you look at the history of the meanings behind certain things, it is so strange. I don't know if there are still weddings where bread is broken over the bride's head. There probably is, but in today's world, it's probably just a fun thing like, haha, we're doing the tradition. Like, our parents did it, our grandparents did it, great-grandparents did it, like, we're just following the tradition. But when you look at the history of these things, to have bread broken over your head, meaning you are, sub like, literally, breaking bread over the bride's head means that she now submits to the groom, she is no longer pure, and here's some good luck, now you're fertile. That is wild. And then, during the Middle Ages, a new take on wedding cakes began. 
So this newer approach in the Middle Ages included cakes that were really tall. They were high stacked and then the newlyweds would kiss over it. So I'm talking like a tall cake, not tall to the ceiling because the couple's just standing there and they have to kiss over it, right? But compared to a loaf of bread, this cake was tall. So the groom would be on one side of the cake, the bride would be on the other side, and they would kiss over the top of the cake. And if they were successful in kissing without knocking the cake over, then it was believed that they would be blessed with many children. Now, this is more of a harmless tradition. This is one of those things that it's it's not funny. I mean, you know, I can see people doing that and it's just kind of like a fun game. Like, ooh, let's see. Let's see if we can actually kiss without knocking this cake over. That's more of a fun, lighthearted tradition. You know, it's like if you find a penny on the ground and it's heads up, that means good luck. You're going to have a great day. Those are kind of like harmless, what's the word, superstitions. This tradition of kissing over the top of the cake just kind of sounds like a superstition, kind of harmless. But when you're talking about, oh, if you do not break bread over that bride's head, she will not be fertile, and that's that. That's kind of weird. And then when you break the bread over her head, it's like, oh, you now submit to me. That's strange. But kissing over the top of the cake, that's kind of cute. That's, I think that's cute. That's a harmless tradition. Also, when I read this, I thought, that's interesting. Maybe that's where cake toppers, the the idea of a cake topper kind of came into play. Because those classic vintage, I'm saying vintage in quotes, because that's, you know, whatever. They, they still exist, obviously. But the bride and groom cake topper on top of the cake, maybe that's kind of where it started. Maybe having the bride on one side and the groom on the other side of the cake kissing over the top of it, maybe that tradition still stayed with people from family to family and eventually you had the bride and groom cake topper. And I think that's cute. I think that's fun. It's a cute tradition. So that one, that one's good. That one sits well with me. I think that's fine. The next one though, this one is hilarious. Again, the fact that people believed this and they were like, oh, thank God they did that at their wedding. Otherwise, she would just be ruined. So, this other tradition regarding the wedding cake in the Middle Ages, they would take the bride's fertility just a little step further. And the English decided that childbearing would be best increased by throwing the cake at the bride. So you know how you see, you don't really see it anymore because it's kind of rude to be a couple taking that first bite of cake together and you just shove it in the bride's face when she's got her hair and makeup done and she paid good money for it. People don't really do that much anymore. It's not funny. It's not cute. If you are about to get married, if you haven't gotten married yet and in the future you will have a wedding, do not throw the cake in the bride's face. She paid good money for her hair and makeup. It took a lot of time. She is just there trying to enjoy herself. She still wants to get nice photos from the photographer. Don't cover her face in butter and sugar. No, not cute. But back in the Middle Ages, and then when the English came about, they decided that if the groom wanted their bride to be able to bear a decent amount of children, 
that the best way to increase that possibility was to throw the cake in her face. Where did, who said that? I would love to know. I need to do more research on this. Maybe I'll do a follow-up episode. But it's like you're sitting there and you're thinking, hmm, I really hope that the woman I am about to marry will be able to give me children. And you know what? I think what I am going to do is just to ensure that I have some kids, I am going to throw this cake at her. That should do it. That should, you know, give me the best children in the world. That is hilarious. Who said that? And back then, was the bride standing there like, what just happened? Why did you just throw that in my face? Or was this a thing where everyone gathered around and the groom was like, okay, honey, stay still. This will just take a second. I'm just going to throw this right in your face. They're going to wipe you up after. Don't worry. Or was it like, you know, surely she knew if this was happening at other weddings, I'm guessing, and it turned into a tradition, right? Surely she knew it was coming, but I would just be livid. I would be pissed. I mean, it's hilarious that people thought that that is how you had, no, that's not how they thought you had children, obviously, but they thought that that would give you better luck with having children. I don't know. I, I'm If I were the bride, I'd be standing there like, are you joking me? Are you joking me? I just married the biggest idiot in the world. What is happening? So that's a little history of the wedding cake. Two of those things were absolutely ridiculous with the bread breaking and then the cake throwing. The other one, like I said, kissing over the top of the cake. Oh, you did it. Good luck. You know, that that gives you a little good luck. That's cute. That's harmless. The other two, how did anyone think that that was what that meant? It's just wild to me. I keep saying that things are wild to me. I don't know where that's coming from. But really, I mean, that is the theme of this episode, I feel like. Wild. How... To attend a wedding back in the Middle Ages, the things you would have seen, the stories you could have told. Again, wild. So now I wanted to finish off the history of weddings, kind of ending it at, you know, the last little bit of what happens in weddings today. I've kind of been going through the sequence, the ceremonies, the wedding parties, the white dress, the wedding cakes, all of that. Now I'm going to end it with the history of the tradition where the groom carries the bride through the doorway of their new home on their wedding night. So after they get married, maybe it's an apartment, okay? But after they get married, the groom picks up the bride and carries her through the doorway, right? We've all seen the photos. People still do this. It's a harmless tradition, but do you know what it used to mean. This is another thing that is like, where's the backstory on this? I would love to see the evidence. Again, I do believe in ghosts. I do believe in spirits 110%. I would love to know the stories behind what happened to the brides and the grooms that did not do this beforehand and why it became a tradition. But this was a tradition because waiting behind the front door of the bride and groom's home were evil spirits. However, these evil spirits were not just in the air floating around. They were only on the floor of the doorway. They weren't in the bedroom. They weren't in the kitchen or the living room. 
They were on the floor of the doorway, just waiting for the bride to walk in. For some reason, the evil spirits, they didn't want anything to do with the groom. They were all about possessing the bride. They just wanted her. That was it. So the groom would pick up the bride and walk through the doorway because if the evil spirits were only on the floor of the doorway, the only way they could possess the bride would be through her feet. So if the groom carried the bride and then put her down on the floor past the doorway, you know, now they're in the living room. Now they're ready to have a good time. He can put her down on the floor and now the evil spirits can't get to her. But if, God forbid, she walks through that doorway, the demons would go through her feet and possess her. Again, I would love to know what happened to the brides and grooms before this tradition started because clearly... Something bad happened to, like, one couple, and everyone was like, oh my god, she's possessed, there are demons on the floorboards right at the doorway, you better pick her up and do not put her down until you reach the couch. Honestly, probably, a bride got back from her wedding night with the groom, and she was like, oh my god, I made a big mistake, and then she probably left and divorced him and ran away, and everyone was like, oh my god, she's possessed, the demons. That is probably likely what happened. But again, I should research more into that as well as a couple other things that I've talked about. And like I said, maybe do a part two. Because these traditions, the backstory behind them, the real meanings behind them are just wild. Again, wild. I can't imagine having just gotten married getting really excited to go home, start your newlywed life. Maybe, honestly, you're not that excited if you were just sold, right? If you were crying as you were walking down the aisle because your dad just sold you to this dude, the groomsmen are sword fighting, your bridesmaids are getting possessed by the evil spirits, you just had cake thrown in your face, now you gotta go home, and you may or may not be possessed when you walk through the front door. It sounds like an awful day. That sounds like the worst day of your life. Luckily, that's not the case anymore, and weddings are very happy, very fun, joyous occasions. But the history behind what a wedding used to be and what all these traditions used to, well, I guess what they still mean, but no one does them for those meanings anymore, right? They're just cute little quirky things to add to your wedding, to follow along with what your parents and grandparents did and all of that, and even they didn't know the meaning behind them, most likely. It is just crazy. So, yeah, that was the history of kind of some of the basic parts of a wedding that we all know and love today that are just crazy. Absolutely crazy. I love researching things like this. I love looking up fun facts. I don't want to read a whole novel on the history behind one little thing, but when it comes to quick, fast facts, I love those. I have this little book of fast facts about the most random things, and when I hear one cool fast fact, like one sentence, I will remember that for the rest of my life. I am not good at math, I'm not good at science, but when it comes to the most random things, I will remember those for the rest of my life. Doesn't matter what situation I'm in, I know that the original flavor of a Twinkie was banana, and then there was a banana shortage in Cuba, so they had to switch to vanilla, 
and all of a sudden all the customers really preferred the vanilla, so they just stuck with that and never went back to banana. That's a random fast fact for you right there that I will remember until the end of time. I have so many more of those. I really want to do an episode, just bullet point, the most random things of like basic everyday things that we use that have little quirks behind them. I think it's so much fun. I just got so sidetracked. Anyways, that was a little overall history of weddings. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was interesting. I, again, am going to be posting this episode to my public business Instagram account because it does relate to what I do with weddings. And I feel like if anyone follows me that is planning a wedding or they've already had their wedding or they're just interested in desserts and cakes, I think this would be a fun episode to listen to. Get some fun, fast facts. Really know the history behind a wedding. Of course, if you do any of these traditions, it doesn't mean that you actually believe, you know, what these traditions used to mean in the Middle Ages and, you know, with the ancient Greek and Roman times. Completely understand. Some people just want to do traditions because they're fun they're cute, their parents did it, totally understandable. And again, when I was talking about the brides with the bridesmaids, don't want to offend anyone. I absolutely love all the stuff relating to weddings. I think bachelorette parties are so fun. Bachelor parties, I think, you know, having your bridesmaids in cute dresses with nice hair and makeup. I love it. Absolutely love it. There are situations, though, where brides expect their bridesmaids to go into literal debt to do things like that. That part crosses a major line. If you want all of that from your bridesmaids, you should either pay for it yourself or you need to take it a step back and make sure they don't have to break the bank to be there for you on your big day. That's a whole nother episode. If I want to make an episode about that, I will. We will see. But I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you are having a wonderful day whenever you are listening to this. I hope your week is going great. I hope you are just very happy having a good time. I will see you for the next episode of Pure Nonsense. I don't know exactly what it will be about. I'm thinking it will be about my ics. I really want to talk about my ics. So yeah, I will see you next time. Bye.